A Thoughtful Faith Podcast is a production of Mormon Stories and the Open Stories Foundation. All donations to A Thoughtful Faith are tax-deductible and go directly towards keeping the podcast alive and towards building a community of support for Mormons like you. To support the podcast or to join the community, please become a monthly subscriber today at athoughtfulfaith.org. So talk about how you came to this different organization where you were taking groups in. So just to give people kind of an idea of timing, I went to Haiti at the end of 2002. I was there uh, in the beginning of 2005. It developed that we I decided I needed to, things got very dangerous. And so I needed to get out of the country and we couldn't get the proper okays and visas to go to the United States. And so we went to Honduras. We were able to get a year's visas for everybody to Honduras. And we actually, it was quite a miracle that the boys were um, able to leave Haiti. They tried to stop them. Again, a lot of corruption. They wanted bribes, but you know, God's grace. He, he watched over us. We got out of the country. That's the beginning of 2005. We were in Honduras for eight months. Another miracle happened. We were able to get in the con into our own country and we moved, uh, first came into Salt Lake City and then we moved to California. So that's the timing. So at the, in 2005, then, um, we were here about three years. In 2008, the boys were starting to settle and go off in their own directions. They were old enough, you know, going to schools and jobs and things like that. And I decided to start going back to Haiti and taking short-term mission groups back into Haiti. So that started in 2008. I started another chapter in that I started going back for short-term mission trips. Um, we call them mission trips. That's kind of a common Christian term with these church groups that go down, all denominations that go down and they go work for a week and have a project. So I started these groups and taking um, different people down there. What's interesting is it evolved and it ended up that my most of my groups well we had our our site on the internet and most of the people that came with me were from all over the country from all walks of life and from all religions and so it seems like it would be kind of a natural thing since i'm an lds person that groups would form locally and that that's how it usually happens but that didn't happen in my case so I had a wide variety of people that would go on these groups with me. I came to love that. It's been one of the greatest blessings of my life. Um, so I was doing that. Um, so first I went into the DR. I, I, I started in 2008 going to the DR. I went back into Haiti at the end of 2009. And then January 12th, I think, was the earthquake. So I was there with a group of people about 
um, I think there was about 17 people. And I had maybe been there two, three times back into Haiti. I decided it was safe enough to go back into Haiti. So I was bringing groups back there. Um, a week after we got, we were there for Christmas and we had New Year's Day. And so we had our celebration in this guest house in Port-au-Prince. And we left soon after that. A week later was the earthquake. So I got news of the earthquake. And at that time, it was attached enough to the orphanages that we were working with that I had this great desire to go back. And some of the street kids that I knew, I wanted to see if they were okay. So I left a day after the earthquake. It took me four days to get there. It was just a crazy experience. I'm not going to get into that because that's, you know, too long. But, um, so I end up moving back to Haiti after the earthquake and it was a completely different experience than my first time where I found my boys and we formed this family and we were working in orphanages. It was a different feel because all of a sudden we're almost on, you know, res responders, you know, so we're into the medical, we're into getting food and supplies and working with lots of donations were coming in and that kind of thing. This is where I, my faith grew, but it also, um, I shifted my view of my own church um, quite a bit. And I started um, understanding some things. Some, some things started changing for me as far as who I was and how I self-identified. And that's that happened with the people that were coming to help me. So what happened was I would have these, my first group was literally a miracle for every single person that ended up coming to Haiti right after the earthquake to help me, had their own story and expressed, I mean, emotions were high, it was very charged, it was very uh, hard, you know, seeing the devastation of the earthquake and the people and the shock that they were in and the medical, everything was just overwhelming. And this, here comes this group of people that end up coming to my home and my organization and staying with me. And they're from all different religions. They're staying in Haiti. Haiti. Yeah. yeah. So I, I move there and then people start pouring in to help Haiti. And that's when I started hearing faith stories of other Christians. And I had to shift my perspective. I listened to their miracles, how God led them, how they got into the country, how just story after story, how they find us, me, my sister and I, you know, how they got to come to me. Many just miracles in their minds, just, you know, circumstances and their faith. And so I would, we would, um, 
me as a leader, I had, I, I used prayer a lot. And I made a, a decision before when I would have different people. We don't talk about, we don't, pro, I don't proselyte on my, my organization, on my trips. I feel like we're there for service. Um, but, but we talk about Christ and we talk about, you know, God and, and miracles and faith and love. We talk about all those things, but we don't proselyte. We're not trying to convert each other. I mean, that decision. We don't talk about our, our religions and we don't talk about politics. But we share. And so every evening I have what's called devotional and I ask a different person to give a thought, what's on their mind, read from their journal, you know, a poem, just whatever it is that's on their heart of scripture. And so I get to know, I'm starting to get to know these amazing people. And I'll never forget when they start praying. And some of them would pray, Dear Heavenly Father, <laughs> I'm thinking, I kind of thought that was Mormon. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that Christian people used the term Dear Heavenly Father. I, I don't know why. And some of them didn't pray like that at all. Some of them were the most beautiful prayers I've ever heard. The most heartfelt, like they were talking to a friend, like they were talking to their daddy, amazed me. So much more heartfelt than I had ever offered, I felt. So I started questioning, wait a minute, how can I tell this person who lives and talks about Christ, who talks about their prayers and receiving their answers and their revelation. But they don't have a desire to get into my church and they don't need it. They're happy. They're completely happy in their own church and they're living these faith-filled lives. It just started opening up my eyes. And at the same time, it was giving me such great joy to have this unity with a group of Christians. And they were proud of being Christians. So I started analyzing. Am, am I proud? You know, why, why, if somebody asks me, why don't, why isn't the first thing out of my mouth, I'm a Christian? You know, I follow Christ. And over the months and the years, that's changed for me. I now self-identify as a Christian first. I, do, I am. I am in love with the gospel of Christ. At this point, I think it's an appropriate time to introduce another person in the room, Kathy Mitchell, who is Rebecca's sister. So um, one, the first thing I want you to talk about is what was the dynamic like in um, in your family? Becky, had you told your family about all of these experiences that you really shared? She was not a good communicator with this. She says. She wasn't. <laughs> so we'd ask her questions and we'd say, um, you know, what was it like? That was kind of scary. Well, I mean, 
when we were begging her to get out during the coup um, and she wouldn't leave and she would say, yeah, I hear guns. Well, you need to get out of there. No, no, I'm going to stay. I mean, she just, you had to dig at her to get all of these details. And sometimes she'd give a little bit, but I keep asking questions. And so I still think the family, I don't think the family knows still some of the most amazing, unbelievable experiences she's gone through. And why do you think you haven't been able to tell the stories to your family? And and maybe, I mean, both of you can answer this. Or Well, I think it's because um, it was so intense for so long that it was like you were saying, you, sometimes you don't, don't have the words for it. And I think I attempted to, a couple of times express it but when a lot of times people aren't reacting like you think they should react or that you want them to react they're not you know that they're not getting it and when somebody doesn't get something then you kind of stop trying and you know your words aren't sufficient and I think that's what happened to me I think besides that I think I was going through I, I was pretty traumatized by the end you know I I was pretty traumatized as far as um, post-traumatic stress disorder, I think. It is a little bit like casting your pearls before swine. You come back from an experience, and one of the most spiritual experiences I've ever had in my life was going to Mother Teresa's home for the dying. And it's like casting your pearls before swine. You come back and you try and, you know, tell that, and you can tell there's kind of blank stares and they're just not... They just don't get it, and so then you do stop. So then I understood why she doesn't talk about it. So um, I want to talk about how you started going together. You started, um, I, Kathy, you, you went for the first time, and um, they were com- Becky has talked about how they were coming from all over the country. She was talking about experiencing this unity, this Christian unity with all of these people. Um, why did you experience that unity with your own, with your LDS community? I'd rather have Kathy, um, express that because Kathy has been my sounding board. She's been my best friend. She's been the one that I've been able to express the experience that I'm having within my own LDS community. And I feel for some reason, I can't express it very well. But she has kind of gone through it with me. You know, she's observed and kind of helped me through the times. Well, before I went down and started experiencing all these different experiences, um, it had been years since I had really associated with anyone outside the church. I just raised my kids. And so... um I didn't have any other frame of reference. And she had been trying to tell me, you know, that um, these other Christians um, were really devoted to Christ and were very much in tune to the Spirit. (laughs) And things that we do not validate with anyone outside our church. And so I didn't really relate to that until I went down and for the first time started holding dying babies and, you know, ministering to dying people 
and little orphans with everybody but Mormons. Very few Mormons, it was the majority, were other Christians from all different denominations, and some not Christians, some just good people. And I realized what she was saying, that these people are as devoted to God, and more so than myself, really. And so that causes cognitive dissonance. You have to go home and reevaluate, um, you know, how you've been taught or your exclusiveness with the rest of the world. And I'll tell two experiences. So the first time I went down, we started out in a little Haitian village in the Dominican Republic, and we had a group of people from a Christian church in Pennsylvania. And to this day, um, the head of that group, Una, she's a pediatrician, is one of our dearest friends. And they knew that we were kind of anxious. They were going to go on home to Pennsylvania and Becky and I and my other, my sister-in-law were going to go on to Haiti. And it's really stressful. I mean, it's, you know, I hadn't been there yet. Becky said, if you think this little village is poor, you haven't seen anything yet. Um, and then going across the border is stressful. She knew all that, you know, and we were just kind of worried. And this little Christian group that was with us were really, were kind of worried for us and anxious. So they came to us the night before we were to leave and they said, can we give you a blessing? We'd like to say a prayer for and with you and, and bless you. And so we sat around, we, Mary and uh, my sister-in-law and Becky and I sat on some chairs and they laid their hands, men and women, on our shoulders and our heads and proceeded to give the most beautiful, comforting prayer of praying that God would direct us to those who needed us, that he would be with us, that we would be safe. And I knew right then that that prayer was as valuable and that blessing was as valuable and as important to God as any prayer that I had ever given. That, it, you know, you don't need the priesthood to call on down, you know, call the powers from heaven and to bless people. And so that, from there, that I started relating and started understanding what Becky had been saying all this time. Now, let me do a flip of a story. So Becky has, you know, by this time, a few years have gone past. She's brought eight Haitian boys, adopted them, brought them to America through a series of unbelievable miracles, parting of the Red Sea type miracles to get them here. Um, just one miracle after another. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So I'm in the States, and they have asked me to give a little talk at a woman's conference in our stake. And there was a CES Institute director who also gave a talk, and he and I know each other. So after the conference, he came into my room, and he knew of my sister. He knew Becky, of her. And he had actually been at a a place where her little Haitian voice had sung some songs for my seminary class. And uh, so he, he said, asked how she was. And I said, she's kind of struggling right now. She's struggling because um, in her ward in St. George, they just kind of don't know what to do with her. They kind of ignore her. Um, they, she's not active. She, you know, She's not the typical Mormon, and so she doesn't go to church. Well, she doesn't. She couldn't do the nursery because she was going to be mostly in Haiti. <laughs> and so we got in this discussion, and then he said, well, does she, 
does she take the sacrament i said oh no most sundays no i said she goes to a church that's close to her mission home you mean no because she was in haiti right she doesn't she doesn't go to the lds church in haiti it's much farther away she's got the responsibility for a interdenominational non-denominational group of people they go to an interdenominational church that's close by the mission home and uh, you don't bring a group of people and have them sit through three hours no air conditioning brutally hot i mean it's just unreasonable and plus this church she takes them to is a wonderful little church with a wonderful pastor pastor john and and so he says so she doesn't take the sacrament and i said no i mean she's in haiti she's you know uh she's taking care of orphans i mean she's she's doing this incredible work and he said you know it's more important that she's here in the states where she can take the sacrament than it is that she's in haiti and i was so stunned i i didn't know what to respond and i just ended the conversation quickly and and i was so stunned and i thought to myself she's living the sacrament the sacrament is simply to remind us how to live she's living it every day of her life she, she we can take it and if we don't live it it doesn't do us one bit of good and i thought to myself she's in haiti living the sacrament but i realized you know i don't know sometimes we're missing the boat and so anyway my experience with her is and my experience working with the nuns uh, when i worked in um mother teresa's home for the dying i thought i'm on holy ground i knew i was walking on holy ground and watching these little nuns who are there for 20 and 30 years in the most horrific conditions day in and day out caring for these dying street people i thought i am i am witnessing some of the most holy people and i'm on holy ground it's very humbling and very spiritual as spiritual as i've ever had in the states so now i understand so i i want to talk about this holy concept because i think that there is an idea that with this restoration there's a level of spirituality that can be attained through exaltation ordinances, temple ordinances. I guess sometimes we're a little bit self-righteous and self-assuming that we can go to a higher level of communion with God. And I want you to talk about if that's been your experience. I, um, I think one of the most pivotal moments of my experience on a personal level was um, about two months after the earthquake. Most everything was shut down after the earthquake. The churches weren't functioning, you know, the hospital, nothing was functioning really. People were busy just doing work. And I had had my first I think it was, well, no, it was, it was my second group after the earthquake came in. And we had asked one of the boys that was a former street kid that was helping me. 
And we asked him um, about his story and his faith. And, and he mentioned, you know, that nobody made him go to church, but that he did turn to God and that he had been going to this certain church. And so my group asked him, can we go to your church? Well, we didn't know that the church hadn't even been meeting, and we didn't know that it was their first time back after the earthquake. So everybody was still pretty traumatized. But so I said, sure, we can, we can go up there. And so we went to find this new church, which was an interdenominational English speaking church that both Haitians and missionaries and, and humanitarian workers and aid workers went to. Anyway, we head up there Sunday morning and it had been the first time really, I had visited other churches a couple of times when I was younger, more as a curiosity or because a friend would invite me, that kind of thing. So I had never really gone to another church and felt a little awkward, you know, as being LDS, we're not used to sharing worship ser services with other people generally, and almost feel like we're doing something wrong. <laughs> the church was actually shut down because of some damage that had been done. It wasn't safe to go back in the church. And so they held the services under the trees out on this a patio kind of thing. And the song leader um, got up there and the pastor got up there and they announced, this is, you know, welcome everybody. This is our first week back together after the earthquake. And then the pastor said, I'm not even going to speak today. So we're going to worship. We're going to sing to our God and and remember that it's still at this time quite traumatic. Big huge buildings are down, uh, rubble is still around, people are still mourning. So it's pretty emotionally charged. People are worn worn down from the hard work and so it's pretty raw. Right? So he says we're going to just worship through music. And their music is, they use guitars and some drums, or yeah, they had a few instruments. And, and they start singing. And the Haitians and the foreigners and from all over, with one spirit, lifted their hands, lifted their voices, lifted their eyes, lifted their spirits to God in worship. And they, there was a, a young woman that had, you know, we had formed a friendship and she was there. She was a return missionary for, she was the only other LDS person. And uh, she had gone on a mission and we looked at each other with tears streaming down our eyes. And I had never before and never since experienced 
pure worship like I experienced that day. And it was a turning point for me to learn what it feels like to be so united um, in the cause and purpose of God. It was a changing moment for me because I, at that moment, God became much bigger, much wider, much more loving, much more whole. He just, um, my world opened up. And um, anyway, it was a changing moment for me. A holy moment. A holy moment. It was holy. It really was holy ground, and it was um, a group of people that were just so happy to worship their God. So you did go down with different LDS groups, but not as much. There, there were, I mean... Some. I would say probably 20% of were LDS in all the people that I... I don't even think that. Many. Maybe not even that many. Mm-mm. It was the majority of, of other Christian denominations. Yeah, mostly non, you know, not, more, not many Mormons. Talk about what it was like to spend time with the LDS people in terms of religion. I, I know that's kind of a difficult question. Becky, you're cringing. But I want, this is important, I think. Becky's had strict rules. And the rules were, you may not talk about religion <laughs> while we're down there. And she was very wise in that because... Denomination. Not... You can't talk about... Not spirituality. You can't talk about debate doctrine or anything like that. Um, because she's very aware that the spirit will leave in contention and there's ill feelings. And so she just said, we can't, you know, you can't talk politics. You can't talk, you know, your different religious beliefs. She wanted a unity um, with everybody down there. And we've had some really interesting experiences. Um, We do not promote ourselves as an LDS humanitarian organization. We are an interdenominational non-denominational organization. And so most people don't ask me when they call and inquire, and I don't ask them. And most of the time they'll tell me, but they never ask. But um, we had a group go down, and we had been working about three months to get this large, it was a group coming down, probably about 15, from a a born-again Baptist in southern, you know, in the south part of the city where I live, and it was a week before the trip, and we had been, I had been to their fundraisers at their church, and and uh, she was at my house. We were loading up big buckets full of rice and beans, and I said, you just missed Becky. She had never met Becky, because Becky was always in Haiti, but Becky had come back for a week or two. I said, you just missed her. She just went up to St. George to visit some of her grandkids. And she stopped suddenly, and she looked at me, and she said, Are you Mormon? And I said, I am. And she said, Is Rebecca Mormon? And I said, She is. And I said, Vicki, do you have a problem with that? And she just sat there, not saying anything, and then she goes, No, 
no, I don't. <laughs> and we finished the buckets, but I knew she was afraid because she thought, what have I done? <laughs> I have, we've paid all this money to go with these Mormons. And so anyway, um, it's funny because when you first go down, you're all kind of looking at each other. And the Mormons, if they happen to be coming, are looking at these other born-agains. And the born-agains are looking at us and we're thinking, you know, putting up our fingers like the cross, you know. <laughs> you know? And, um, and so you're leery at first. And by the end of the week, after you've sung together, prayed together, cried together, you know, wept and wept and held babies at Mother Teresa's home where all these sick and dying babies are together, and you've rubbed lotion on and painted the nails of dying women and all the other experiences you have, by the end of the week, there is no barriers. They're down. You look, they think they are followers of Christ, and we look at them and they are followers of Christ. There is no difference between us. And as a matter of fact, that the woman who was my friend Vicky, she ended up staying a whole month. She didn't want to go back. So she ended up staying with, with Becky for the, she sent her group home after the week and she <laughs> stayed on. And um, she got back and got in trouble, a lot of trouble with her pastor because they all went home and, you know, said, did you know those were Mormons? We went with? And he was really upset. But after she got back and talked to him and explained to him, softened his heart a great deal. And so talk about missionary work of softening people towards us and our heart softening towards them, that, that the barriers come down. You become united in Christ. And that changes your perspective. You don't like the thought anymore that we're special, that we are the chosen. I, I don't like any of those terms anymore. Do, do Mormons tend to, I mean... Is that more of an issue for Mormons, or is that an issue for everyone? I think it's probably an issue not for everyone, but maybe for real orthodox, distinct churches, maybe born again, and us, it changes everybody. I don't, I, I think. I remember one funny story. Um, I had this woman come to me. I, I'm sure she didn't know that I was LDS. She knew what I did and that I had these groups, and she came and she said, you know, you don't know me, but I've been kind of watching, watching you. And she said, I've got this young daughter and we usually come every year with our own church group. And she said, I think she, this daughter needs to branch out a little bit. Do you think it's possible that she comes with some of your group and she'd be by herself? But she said to me, honestly, she needs to have be with some different people. She came to me and she said, Mom, how do we know we're the only true church? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I just, it struck me. She wasn't Mormon. She was from some other denomination. Yeah, it just struck me. that, And, and what I've learned is we're all so very similar in... <laughs> Just our, you know, our funny f things we do and how we think. And so, yeah, there's there's many people that have the same perspectives that we have, except on their end. <laughs> you know, they, they belong to the only true church, not us. So I want to know what you do then with the exclusive doctrine of our church. I mean, it, it's pretty clear that you have to become Mormon to 
reach the highest degree of glory. And so what, I mean, what is your... I have, to be honest, I think at this point, I just have my own little brand of, you know, how I fit in to the church and my own belief system that I feel very, very comfortable with. Um, and I, at, at one point I, I was going through the stage of questioning everything and trying to figure out, you know, how I fit in and what I believed and what I didn't believe. And, um, I have now, I don't believe in the concept of all or nothing. I've come to realize that the world is full of truth. And that truth is just as every real and tangible as sunlight, the rays from the sun. And we don't talk in terms of, you know, we don't, are not under the sun thinking to ourselves, we're the only ones that the sun is shining on. <laughs> you know, like, I have most of the sun rays. We don't think along those terms. We enjoy the warmth and the sunlight that happens to shine on us. And, and that's how I view truth and our experience. So I think we don't have the whole sun of God or sun in the sky or truth, if you may. We don't have it all shining onto us. We enjoy part of the truth and there's truth throughout the world. There's truth in nature. There's truth in the mountains. There's truth in art. There's truth in beauty. There's truth in other individuals and in spirits and in experiences. And, you know, it's just so big. And we are blessed, you know, throughout our lives. The things that you have the opportunity to learn might be different than the things that I have the opportunity to learn and enjoy but that doesn't negate what they are. And so I just, I'm, I don't know. I just think of things in a very different way. I don't worry um, about where I'm going to end up just because I know I have this perfect God who's perfect. <laughs> you know, he's just, it, it, he is perfect. And my worrying or my opinion of him or my opinion, opinion of what he thinks of other people doesn't change the way it is and it doesn't change him so to be honest I really don't worry about those things and I I um, still enjoy going to other denominations I I enjoy that I enjoy being a part of a different group and I and I also enjoy and love going to take the sacrament that's one of the things I love I love that we you know get to take the sacrament and so I don't know I guess I've just really relaxed I just don't have those those worries and Kathy well let's see I've um I I think very differently than I did five years ago. Um, I kind of started on a little bit of a different path 
um, several years ago when I had a son die and I woke up the next morning and I looked at my husband and I said, you know, we don't know a dang thing, do we? And he said, no, everything's faith. We live on faith. And so since that time, and then especially since working with Becky, I've just realized I choose. I choose everything I want to believe, everything that feels right, that bears fruit that's good. You know, I have my little own criteria of how I decide whether I want to believe it or not and accept it as truth. Um, but it's very different than it, was, it used to be, and it's very different than the traditional Mormon, I think. Um, and I'm very much at peace with, like Becky said, God's gotten so much bigger. And I, it's too bad we don't have the vocabulary to express it. It's He's bigger, he's wider, he's grander. He's more all-encompassing. Um, there's no fences in his mind. You know, there's no barriers in his mind. He's not looking at it. Oh, there, that, there's a little group that I love more than others. And there's the, uh, he, we're all his children. And that's very comforting. And it's very hopeful. And so I, I, I've said to my husband, I can't go back. I, the thought of going back to how I used to believe is was quite depressing. He said, well, you don't have to go back. And so, you know, I, I see a real change taking place. I see more and I come across more and more people more and more often who are starting to think. It's almost like um, we're putting on our little thinking caps and we're starting to think, you know, that never did make sense. And um, And I'm like, Becky, it's not all or nothing. You know, I I have a stronger faith in Christ and Heavenly Father and miracles and revelation and truth. You know, that those are things I'm going to hang on till the end of my days because they have brought such wonderful fruit. So this whole experience to me has brought me a lot more peace and hope. Than, than if I didn't go through this with Becky. So I'm grateful that she dragged me into this because it's been incredibly invaluable in creating con you know cognitive dissonance. And from there you start thinking and you come to a lot of peace with what you do and don't believe anymore. Sarah, could I just, um, I think one of the things that's on my heart right now and one of the things that's caused me great sadness is that I've seen um, some of some friends and I've seen people or been aware of people that have questions about the church or the organization or traditions or doctrines, a lot of different things. And it's almost as if, back to this all or nothing, it's all as if they've got to prove it all Somehow there has to be proof that it's all true or they've got to throw it all out. And it seems to me that to many people it's a very, very lonely path and one where they're, they're feeling like they have to give God up. And, and that makes me really sad in my heart because I've been one of those people that's just always been a little bit different. I've always felt like I didn't fit in to the the church community. I've done things a little bit different. I've gone gone off on my own 
to do my kind of my own mission work, which is very different for the most LDS to even think about. So I've been different and I have felt the, the, you know, the consequences of that is that I've been lonely in my community. But what I've come to realize is that, that I'm okay and that I like who I am and I like my relationship with God and, and Christ. If you have somebody that's going through a faith crisis, you know, let them go through that process. It's a blessed process to, to have to stretch, to learn from God, you know, where he is and who he is in your life. And also to distinguish and know for yourself what you believe. And I don't know. I see too many people giving up good relationships based on, based on religion. And I, I just, I don't, I think that's kind of a sad thing. I was just going to add a little bit to that. Um, my my I I have seven children and they've all gone through this questioning, this doubting, this sorting, trying to figure out what they believe, and they've all come to different points. They're all different places. And I'm a worrier, you know, i my kids can say I worried and called them ten times, Are you okay? Are you safe? Whatever. But I've never felt worried about any of these paths any of my kids have taken. Um some have taken off their garments, some have done this, and I just haven't worried. And I've, asked, I've thought to myself, why aren't I worried? I'm not worried because I so value and trust what good people they are. And they're, they're good mothers, they're good fathers, they're good sisters, they're good brothers. They look for the sad and lonely they try to make people happy. They take the baptismal covenant of bearing one another's burdens seriously. <laughs> I just don't worry about any of them. I just don't worry. I am very, very comfortable that that they'll hang on to the most important things to them in this life, and it's it's good things. And if it doesn't fit the norm, I still don't worry. I think they're incredible people, and I just feel very privileged to be their mother and I get to associate with the cream of the crop in my children. <laughs> so I, it's what Becky said. We give up relationships because what religion dictates to us, our religion says this is bad and we, we shouldn't. I've seen parents disown their kids because their kids don't want to go to church anymore or their kids decide it's not true. I just think that's sad, like Becky said. My goodness, just value your relationships. You know, I live in Mapleton, Utah. So I'm surrounded. I, I think the activity rate in my ward is 98%. We have, like within our ward boundaries, maybe three families that don't attend church. I mean, it's... And I, I guess what I'm what I'm thinking is, not everybody gets the opportunity to go to Haiti and live this this kind of experience and learn this way. Um, you know, not everybody is involved in this kind of experience where we get to see the world. 
what are your thoughts in terms of what are what is my what is what is my responsibility what is everyone's responsibility to go out and serve how much do we sacrifice how much how much do we give what is required of us well i have i have something to say to that it is my belief that to some degree it's not a good perspective to think along the lines of what are, what am I required to do? Because I think in terms of life as an opportunity. So where you are, certain opportunities present themselves. I think that most people can have some amazing experiences by opening up their mind and being open to the op opportunities. We have opportunities all the time, and we can't take every single one, but we can take a lot of them. And so if if there's a beggar on the street or somebody who's, you know, we have the opportunity to stop, you know, and go park, go stand with them, you know, talk to them, like, what's your name? <laughs> I mean, we, we have that opportunity. Most of us don't take it. Um, we have so many opportunities. Maybe they're not requirements, but why would we look at life like that? You miss so much. If, if your measure of how you live your life is what am I required to do? And then you leave, you let all these things go by you, right? And I don't think everybody has to go to a Haiti or a different country or work in orphanages or I just, I think there's so many different ways to experience life on kind of a, a, a different level. And I, it usually has to do with relationships. It usually has to do with getting to know people on a personal level. It, usually has to do also with overcoming fears of differences. But we, I, I don't think it's a good way to look at life. I, I just think we can celebrate life. There's a lot of different people out there. I, I don't have much more to add to that. Just, um, I, I found that, um, the more you get I think it's wonderful when we crochet things and send booties or whatever. I think that's all great because any, any bit of service is wonderful. But I have found that if you actually, you work with, you get out of your homes and out of your wards and out of your stakes and you actually mingle with other churches and you actually go do the work, there's something to that. There's something very, very cleansing and joyful to that. And so um, right now I'm not going down to Haiti, probably won't go this year, but I've, you know, found a little place that they've taken the homeless vets and so, and a little park that's near there for the homeless people. And so we're kind of you know, adopting them. And what's neat is when they start to recognize us, when we go, oh, hi, you're back. And just talking to them, where did they serve? I mean, there's something to one-on-one -on -one communication. So my advice 
you know, even in your own wards in Mapleton, you know, there's there's people that are lonely and sad, and you can just just concentrate on that. Just always concentrate on being a good Christian and looking for the lonely and the sad, and whether it's in or out of your church, in or out of your ward. And it might help if the if we updated our music a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, they really do have great music in Haiti, and in other churches have some wonderful music. If we could really worship with, you know, like belt out and have passion for what we're yeah. singing, oh, that would be just so great. You know, it's kind of, our music's kind of sad sometimes. That's all there is to it. So, how do we achieve unity? I mean. How do we achieve units for me? How do I go out and break down those barriers with people in other churches? I mean, what's one of the ways that I can achieve unity? It is important that we stop judging. I think first of all, we are all attracted to love. We we want to be accepted and you know, it's a fact like, like with teenagers, parents with teenagers out there, remember that you're, you know, it's this basic human need. Your teenager is going to gravitate to where they feel loved and accepted. It's a really strong need. And so where we feel love, we go. And it's pretty hard for somebody to feel loved when they are are feeling judged. So instead of um, concentrating on our differences, even within our own religions, instead of, you know, comparing or looking at our differences, we need to concentrate on the similarities. And what I found with many, many different Christian denominations, you know, and some non-Christian there's so many similarities in what we desire, what we want, what we worry about, what we strive for, and what we work for. And so if you go throughout your day looking for those similarities um, and concentrating on that and enjoying it with each other, I think that's a really good way um, to, to handle it. Kathy? Well, and to expand on that into Haiti, you're doing that with all different religions and some people who aren't religious. You're, you're sharing very intimate, personal times with people from all walks of life and you feel that unity, that no judging. You realize everybody needs to be prayed for and everybody needs help and everybody needs, you know, empathy and a listening ear and whatever. So that helps take the, the fences down. And I, I know President Kim or Hinckley, you know, said, um, we have truth, you have truth, meaning people outside the church, let us add to your truth. And I'm going to add to that. Let us add to the, your truth and you add to ours. That when you start validating that other people have many wonderful things they can bring to you, it's not just one-sided. You know, we need to sh shift our thinking that way. We don't just have, you know, the only thing to add to people. They, I've learned now as many valuable, you know, lessons and how to be a wonderful, good Christian from 
other faiths and other and and couples and families that aren't don't go to any particular religion so you know we need to break those barriers by validating and listening to and without any ulterior motive these other people which think of us we're all children of god and take those barriers down that way and um i think that would help a great deal what are some of the things that others can add to us what can give me an example of something that you have taken from someone else well um when I went to Mother Teresa's home for the dying and watching these nuns who have devoted their life of, you know, gently, lovingly changing the bandages of these women that are dying from AIDS and from all diseases, from watching them do this day in and day out and day in and day out for years. I thought to myself, if they don't make it <laughs> to live with God, I don't know who will. I don't, you know, I started realizing all these ordinances we perform, they don't mean a thing unless we really start doing what Jesus did. And And so, you know, when I was... They do this all the time, but, you know, so in, you go into Mother Teresa's and you, they're all different stages of dying. And so I was, we, we rubbed their arms and you can tell it's just relief from the, you know, t constant pain they're in, you know. And this one woman that, she was young and, and through the interpreter, she had told me she had a little four-year-old boy. She didn't know where he was, somewhere out on the streets. She was worried about him. She couldn't lift her arms. She couldn't lift her head. I, I I knew she was just a day or two away from dying. Very, you know, emaciated and just close to death. Beautiful woman, big, big eyes that just looked at me, little smile when I started rubbing lotion on her hands, on her, you know, on her arms, just rubbing, rubbing. And I could tell it was just oh, a little bit of relief. And I rubbed her legs. And then when I got to her feet, they were really bloody. And I didn't have any rubber gloves on or thing. I didn't think of that. I don't think any of us put them on. They were bloody and cracked. And the thought came to me, I wonder if she has AIDS. You know, I, I may die. And I thought, what a way to die. And I had the most unbelievable um, realization settle on me as this is what Jesus did with the lepers, with the sick babies, with the walking the streets of Jerusalem, I had the privilege of one day doing what these nuns do day in and day out and what Jesus did in his whole ministry. And so I thought, wow, and that's a way to take barriers down. And, and, um, I, you know, the thought, if I ever think, oh, I'm special, oh, I get the, those thoughts, no. I feel foolish thinking them. I feel embarrassed thinking them, that I have something more grand than everybody else. I can't even think those thoughts anymore. I feel <laughs> totally embarrassed to think those. I feel arrogant and stupid, so I don't, no, I don't think those that way anymore. Well, I think we've, um, 
covered a lot of ground. It's been it's been big. <laughs> I know that I could sit almost and... as big as God. <laughs> <laughs> I know that there's lots and lots more to tell, but yeah. I just want to thank you for participating in a thoughtful faith. You do have a website where donations can be made. I know that you're slowing down, not to, I mean, you're getting a little bit older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we do have really worthy projects right now. Can I just yes. put in a little plug on what we are doing right now? We've, um, we're concentrating on a learning center that we've set up in a little village in the northern part of, of the Dominican Republic. Um, uh, we have a library. It's a Haitian village. A Haitian village, and it's we have a library and a computer center teaching them English and different skills. Um, it's amazing. And it has transformed this village. It's brought life and respect. And it, it's to hear the... Um, I, w I wasn't really aware of it on a day-to-day -day basis, but people that have knew of the village at the beginning when we first went in there and then have returned, have described this amazing difference in, in the, that the program has brought to the people. We have a work for food program that we're trying to get started. Um, so anyway, um, donations really are um, welcome and used for this learning center. And the, the website is ffcin.org. The FFCIN is for, that stands for Foundation for Children in Need. So that's where the, and it's .org. Are you going to be taking trips? Yeah, on that website we'll put, uh, we're, we're slowing, our, our concentration is actually just running the program, but we will have probably three or four trips a year, and um, people are welcome to come to join those those groups and and come down it's a really fun experience and how come you're slowing down just as a point of interest i'm slowing down because uh, for a lot of different reasons one is i need and want to be with my family and my grandkids and my kids a little bit more often and also I'm a little pressured to support myself. <laughs> it's like, it's time to grow up and get a real job, is what I say. <laughs> Not that, you know, it's just kind of a different time of my life. And um, and I need to rest a little bit. I'm, I'm a little burned out and worn out with, you know, I just need to heal a little bit. And then I'm sure I'll be back into it. <laughs> okay, so... Well, thank you very much, and I encourage all the listeners to check out your website, ffcin.org. Mm -hmm. And thanks again. This has been a wonderful discussion, and you've been listening to A Thoughtful Faith. Come the fount of every blessing to my heart to sing the grace. Thank you for joining us today on A Thoughtful Faith. To discuss this podcast, check us out at athoughtfulfaith.org. The music from this podcast was generously donated by Lisa Frazier. Hear more from her at lisafrazier.com.
See you.